Welcome to Gov Innovator. I'm Andy Feldman. Our topic today is an update from Allegheny County, a leader in using data to improve outcomes for its human services clients. Here's a clip. One of our high-level philosophies is that we believe that sharing information, client information, helps us to provide better services. And so that's the approach we want to take. And so what we wanted to get to is what can we legally do to accomplish this goal of improving the quality of our services through the sharing of information. The Department of Human Services in Allegheny County, which includes Pittsburgh, is a leader in the use of data to continually improve services for its residents. In 1999, the department created its data warehouse that consolidated its human services data relating to topics such as behavioral health, child welfare, and homelessness services. It then expanded the database to include data from other county agencies, as well as the Pittsburgh Public Schools. So how did the department link data across programs and with providers, given what often seems like insurmountable privacy laws that can make data sharing difficult? We get insights from Aaron Dalton, the Deputy Director of the Office of Data Analysis, Research, and Evaluation, and Brian Bell, a supervisor within the same office and also the privacy officer at the department. Our interview builds on an earlier conversation with Aaron Dalton that provides an overview of the data warehouse. Welcome to you both. Brian, I'd like to jump right into the main question, which is tell us the story of how you were able to deal with privacy protection laws like HIPAA and FERPA and still link these data in order to serve your clients better. Sure. So the challenge that we had is if we got 10 people in a room including internal folks and, and maybe not just maybe just internal folks, we couldn't get them to agree on what the regulations required. And even when we made a decision, we often found that we had the same meeting over and over again, rehashing the same decision. So one of the things we did was decide that we needed some external help. So we brought in, you know, a national expert on privacy and confidentiality regulations. And he kind of walked us through a process of discussing, you know, one is just what our philosophy is and what we wanted to accomplish. And, you know, one of our high-level philosophies is that we believe that sharing information, client information, helps us to provide better services. And so that's the approach we want to take. And so what we wanted to get to is what can we legally do to accomplish this goal of improving the quality of our services through the sharing of information. And, uh, and so then he took us through what he, you know, his interpretation of the regulations and, you know, we have a certain oversight responsibility that, you know, requires that we have to collect a certain amount of information. And once we have it, then, you know, we have in our mind some responsibility to use that information responsibly and respectfully, but still to help promote the care of our, of our clients. So, so he helped us kind of think through what that balance can be and what it legally can be. And then one of the important steps I think we did was we documented those decision points that we made and then shared those broadly, first of all, you know, with the folks that, that were in the meeting and got confirmation of it and then began sharing that. Even we, we incorporated that in the HIPAA training that we do so that people understand the, the stance that we're taking and where we're headed. And we also shared that with our providers who were expressing concerns about how we were going to use information that they provided us. And I think one of the thing, maybe key things that set their minds at ease is that we agree that once they give us information that is about, you know, their client, it's our responsibility to protect it. So, you know, if we do something bad and someone sees it who shouldn't, that's our responsibility. And I think they appreciated that we put that in writing and said that that's our perspective. And so once we had that document and began sharing that and, and got everyone on the right page, then I think we had the confidence to move forward to the next step, which is rolling it out, you know, sharing with providers 
And I think the providers, you know, they got on board and um, we started not having the resistance that we initially did. We should say that the providers means the contracted service providers. Yeah. So we have 400 and some providers across five giant program areas that provide services through contract, you know, whether it's mental health services or intellectual disability services, aging services, all of those, uh, those type of things. And they're providing data back to us uh, about the cost of those services and what particular services provided, diagnoses, all those things. And, and I probably left out the caveat that I should always say, we broadly found that we could share information pretty easily for treatment purposes, with the exception of our drug and alcohol data. The, the federal regulation is pretty strict too, but our state regulation is not only strict, but very vague, you know, and uh, so it leaves a lot of things unanswered and a lot of things open to interpretation, which makes it very easy to say, no, you can, can't share this as opposed to yes. So that's always the caveat with that data is that we uh, feel like we can't, you know, we can't share that. But everything else we said, you know, in that legal approach that we could share that beyond our walls. I think that is really useful history and the story of how the warehouse came about and the data sharing agreements. Brian, one more question for you, which is, I know that one of the main uses of these data is called client view. Tell us what that is. That basically is a a doorway or window into our data warehouse and allows me to go up and look up a particular client. I can look that client up and see kind of the portfolio of services they've received over all of those different source systems that we collect information. So, you know, I can see if they've been in the jail. I can see if they've received public benefits, TANF, SNAP, those type of things. You know, what services they've received in mental health, aging. And also we have the ability to look at the assessments that may have been done on them, you know, whether they're, you know, child, adolescence, needs and strengths assessment, those type of things. Um, We've added some timeline features and things to make it a little more robust in terms of the visualization of it. And then we've rolled that out now not only internally, we give access to our contracted service providers and have the ability for clients to access that information as well so they can see their own record um, that we have on them. Aaron, I want to ask you about that exact uh, subject that Brian just mentioned, which is these data are accessible to clients. And I know it's your view that that's been important. I do think it's important. And it also, it's really helpful because we care about giving data back to the people who it belongs to. I think we'd be in a much less good position with our community if we didn't do that sort of thing. Final question for you. Tell us your favorite examples of how client view is useful and is being used to improve outcomes for DHS's clients. So examples of client view use, you know, when we get calls to the hotline for child abuse and neglect. Some cases we get lots of information, in some cases we get very little. And so just being able to identify the service and criminal justice and other experience of the house where our investigators are about to go investigate is both a worker safety issue and a child safety issue. And when they go out to the house and they didn't realize that family friend is living in the house, they can look up that person and understand what's going on with them to help do the right child protection and service engagement. You know, another would be our clients tell us and our providers sort of echo this that people in crisis are not the best historians of their own care at that time. I mean, imagine, you know, like going to the ER for anything and them asking you a bunch of stuff. It's hard to sort of rattle that back and reverse chronological order in a way that would be, you know, meaningful. 
We think intake is one of the other most important uses. So, um, so someone walks into one of our providers and wants a service, they can start to piece together their human services experience so that they can best support them. So people might say like, I'm here for a housing service, but I really want to be reconnected to uh, some mental health outpatient provider I was connected with. They could help them to narrow that down. Also, for purposes of teaming and that sort of thing, people connecting with one another to coordinate care, you know, lots of our people are involved in multiple services at one time. This is the way they can connect with one another. It's also been helpful in terms of the root cause analysis, you know, case review type of activities where, you know, you, you want to see all the all the systems that were involved in caring for this individual and sometimes seeing how they haven't connected where they should have throughout that process or where they did and, and maybe it helped. My thanks to Aaron Dalton and Brian Bell for sharing their useful insights today. And thanks to all of you for listening.